All right, Luke 11, we're going to just read verses 11 through 13. There might be a Bible in the pew in front of you. If not, the verses should be on the screen. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Morning, church. For those of you who are new with us this morning, we're in the middle of a series on our vision, our mission, and our values, which means that we're talking about, as a community, where we're going and how we're going to get there together. Two weeks ago, we heard a sermon from the book of Habakkuk about how God's purpose is to cover the earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea. That's where we get our vision statement from. Our vision is to multiply worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. Our vision is to take God's glory global and to start by doing that right here in this neighborhood in which God has planted us. Last week, we heard a call from Pastor Sam to follow Jesus. This is our mission. This is how we get to together where we're going. Complete surrender to Christ and following in his way. That's where we get our mission, which is to follow Jesus in everyday life and help all kinds of people do the same. Now, as you hear that vision and that mission, those two things, if we were honest and reflected about them, we would admit that those are two of the hardest and biggest things that any of us have ever been called to ever. Right? We're pretty ordinary people in this room. I don't see many senators. I don't see many business executives. I don't see many professional athletes. And yet, we've been called to take God's glory global, beginning in our city, and we've been called to live a remarkable life like the life of Jesus. It sounds challenging. It sounds impossible. So the question that comes to my mind as I hear those calls is how are we going to do it? How are you going to live like Jesus? Does that challenge you to live like Jesus? Do you think you can do that? That's where our core values come in. Our core values are an attempt to simplify and focus the most important ways we will follow Jesus. If you hear following Jesus and think, that sounds massive, that sounds impossible, I don't even know where to start, this is where we're going to start in these three simple ways together. And this first one is especially important, the one that we're going to focus on this morning, because it's not only a concrete area to focus, it's also our source of power from God. Like, we will fail in our mission and we'll fail in our vision unless we depend on God for help and strength, just like Jesus did. So if we miss this one this morning, we're going to find ourselves trying to do a whole lot in our own strength and not actually accomplishing anything meaningful or anything purposeful. 
So simply put, our first core value as a community is be with the Father. Be with the Father. That's all that I'm inviting myself, that's all that I'm inviting all of us to do this morning, is to be with the Father. Sound easy enough? Now, to learn why we must be with the Father, to learn how to be with the Father, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to turn to a few different passages and learn from the way he lived and learn from the way he ministered so that we can do likewise. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells a story of the most remarkable life that was ever lived. There was a man named Jesus who healed the sick, casted out demons, freed people from their sin and their shame, and as a result, all kinds of crowds flocked to him. In one such instance, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, we see this happening. It says in verse 15, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Now, when we hear things like that about Jesus, one question that should pop into our minds is, how did he do it? How did he do it? On first hand, he was so compelling that all kinds of people flocked to him. Like they all wanted to be around him. All kinds of people were coming to him uniquely for help. That's amazing. What else is amazing is that Jesus patiently received all of them. There would have been people with diseases touching him. There would have been people with mental illness and demonic possession around him. There would have been enemies in the crowd. And unlike so many other famous people that have lived or popular people that are lived, Jesus never insulated himself with a bubble. Like, you can't come close to me. No, in the story of Jesus, people are coming up and they're all over him. I get overwhelmed by one little human being crying out for my help day and night. And Jesus had thousands of them. And he's patient with them all. How did he do it? On one level, we want to ask, how did he do it? Because it's amazing. And we want to understand amazing and glorious things. But on another level, and I think this is even more important, we want to ask, how did he do it? Because we're called to do the exact same thing. So when we're asking, how did Jesus live like that? We're not just saying, I'm just trying to understand how Jesus did it so I can be amazed at Jesus. We're also asking, how can I live like that too? That's where we're trying to go as a church. These stories of Jesus are meant to be repeated in our lives together. That's why we're asking how did he do it? And one cop-out I think that we can often give is that, well, he was God. Right? He was God. He, he, had, he played the God card. That's how he did it. But that is not the story that Luke tells. That is not the style that the story that the Bible tells. The Bible tells a story of someone who is also completely human, lived as a completely human experience, had human needs, had human limitations, and did everything he did as a human being as much as you or I are. 
Jesus served and loved people in the way he did as a person, as much as you or I are. So that brings us back to the question then, how did he do it? The next verse, verse 16, is going to reveal that to us. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As Jesus' fame and reputation were growing, rather than seeking fame, he withdrew from it and sought his father instead. What this verse shows us is that the first great and central practice of Jesus' life was spending time with God. This is what following Jesus looks like. I'm going to say that again. This is what following Jesus looks like. Following Jesus is not primarily a to-do list. Following Jesus is not primarily a thousand things you have to do for other people or for God. The first thing following Jesus looks like is spending time with your father. And this is precisely what the Lord Jesus Christ did. If Jesus needed to be with God before he lived for God and acted for God, dare we think that we need anything less? Jesus shows us that one way to experience relationship with God is to have intimacy with him and to withdraw to a place without interruption. So Jesus goes to a place without interruption and he prays and he enjoys intimacy with his father. Before Jesus acted, he abided. Relationship with his father preceded everything he did. He was with God before he did for God. All of his actions were not hollow performance. Right? If you just do things, Without a relationship, it's just hollow religious performance. All of his actions were an overflow of real intimacy with God, so they were genuine and full of power and relationship. This is where our Lord received the power for his mission and where we're going to receive the power for our mission. Our Lord was with our God before he, before he did for God, and so must we. It seems like as the story goes on, the disciples of Jesus who are following him, learning from him, doing what he's doing, just like we're supposed to be, they catch on to something. They catch on to something that Jesus is persistent in prayer, that Jesus values prayer, that Jesus emphasizes time with God, and that it's having a dramatic effect on him and on the lives around him, which is why when we get to Luke 11, verse 1, this happens. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. So Jesus would find a place and he'd go and pray there. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The rest of you are familiar with that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I want us to focus on the first word of that and learn from that word this morning. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he does not instruct them to 
pray to their creator. He does not instruct them to pray to their judge. He does not instruct them to pray to their Lord of all. All of those things are true, and it's okay to refer to God in all of those ways. But when Jesus sets an example for how first and foremost we should relate to God, how first and foremost we should speak to him, the word he gives us is Father. Now that's very significant. The word Father implies someone who's greater than us, right? As a father is greater than his children, and children look up to their father, so God is greater than us. And yet, though he's greater than us, just like any good father, God is near to us and available to us. When Jesus introduces God to us as Father, he's introducing God to us whom our hearts crave. We crave for a relationship with a being who's greater than us. And we also crave for a relationship with a being who's near and available to us. Anything less won't satisfy the desires of our hearts. If God's not Father, our hearts will always be hungry and thirsty for more. And what Jesus introduces to us is the person and the one that we're looking for. That's who our Father is. That's who Jesus invites us to pray to. Everything our earthly fathers are supposed to be, our ultimate Father is. Everything our earthly fathers are supposed to be, our, our heavenly Father is. Right? It leaves us such a wound when our earthly Father is not the man that he's supposed to be. And it's such a blessing to us when he is. And all that is is a picture of how great and significant it is to know God as our ultimate father. It's that much more of a blessing than an earthly dad. That's why he gave us earthly fathers, as a picture of himself, a good and perfect heavenly father. And that's who we get to talk to. That's who Jesus invites you and me to spend time with. Isn't that sweet? Now, another question that we should ask is where does Jesus come up with this term father? Like if you read the Bible, there's generations and generations of prophets, priests, and kings who live for God, and they don't call him father. And then all of a sudden, when we get to the life of Jesus, he's calling God his father, and he's telling other people to do the same thing. And it's like, where, where did that come from, Jesus? Where did you get that term? And I suggest to you that Jesus isn't introducing a new term as much as he's taking us back to the beginning. This is what I mean. When God created human beings, the Bible says he made us in his image. And then the first human being, Adam, he has a son named Seth. And the Bible says that Seth was made in the image of Adam. It's a clue, it's a hint from the story that part of what being in the image of God meant was that we would relate to God as Father. And then as we get to the Gospel of Luke and we find a genealogy of Jesus, which is a list of his ancestors, it traces his ancestors all the way back to Adam. So Jesus was the son of this guy, the son of this guy, the son of this guy all the way back to Adam, and Adam was the original. It says in verse 38 of Luke chapter 3, Adam was the son of God. So when God first created human beings, he created us with the father-son intimacy. 
what happened was sin happened, right? Interrupted the relationship between God and people, and people hadn't enjoyed that relationship since then, which is why the term father largely disappears. So what this suggests to us is that relating to God as father is not something that's good. It's not something that's nice. It's not something that would be good for us to try. It's something that we were made for. The first human being was made for this, Sin took this from us, and it's what we're made for. And then Jesus shows up, a new Adam, a new son of God, who, unlike Adam, doesn't disobey, doesn't fall, and therefore he has father-son intimacy with God, and he starts inviting people into that same intimacy. So when you follow Jesus, you start to leave the isolation of your sin that isolates you from God and start to enjoy the same kind of intimacy with God that he enjoyed. What we want to get at this morning is that following God is not a list of things you have to do. It's first and foremost a relationship that you're being invited into. And I'm blown away by that, and I hope all of us are, that we're not God's servants, we're not God's slaves, we're his children. Another way to put this is that we were made for communion with a transcendent person. You were made for communion with a transcendent person. We long for that transcendence, that glory, that thing that's so big and large and beautiful that we cannot imagine it or explain it. There's a deep craving in our heart for that which is other than us, higher than us, and greater than us. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of us stray into sin because we look for that transcendence in sexual experiences outside of marriage. We look for that transcendence in substance abuse. We look for that transcendence in success at our jobs or financial success. But actually, the only way to experience transcendence is to experience relationship with our Father, which is why when Jesus comes along, he never craves after those things. He never thirsts after those things because he has a relationship with the one who truly satisfies his soul. And so if you find yourself being taken away from God this morning by your sins and your temptations, you can learn this morning from Jesus that the way back into relationship with God is to spend time with the Father and be satisfied with him instead. Now, if all these things are true, if we're made for relationship with God, if we're called into relationship with God, if Jesus showed us the way to be with God, why do most of us struggle to spend time with God? Why don't you think about for a sec- that for a second? Why do most of us struggle to spend time with God? Simply put, we, and myself included, don't actually believe he's a father. I don't think we actually often believe he's a father. And what I mean by that is we functionally live as if he was not great, like a father, and if he was not good and available like a father. If we lived as if he was great and if he was good and available, we would all spend time with him regularly and get from him what Jesus got from him. As far as greatness, if we believed the father was as great as Jesus reveals him, we would prefer him over sins, over distractions, and over amusements that we choose instead of time with him. 
If we believe the Father was as great as Jesus said he was and showed he was, we would prefer time with him over our sins, over our distractions, and over our amusements that we choose instead of him. We would, not, we would stop looking to experience greatness first in concerts, in shows, in sports, in social media, in dining experiences, in relationships, in trips, in our jobs, or something on the internet. Instead, we would look for greatness first in spending time with God, seeing a father who is more amazing than we could imagine, and then after spending time with him, we would engage in those things. Jesus shows us how great his father is when he heals sick bodies, casts out demons, and forgives sin. You could imagine a loved one or yourself who's sick or hurt, and suddenly they're better. I've seen things like that, and it's the most amazing thing to ever witness. I mean, it's astounding to see a human body get made better. And that's what Jesus went around doing. And what was he doing? He was showing how great his father was. He came to represent his father. And so if you want to know how great your father is, watch the life of Jesus, see what he does, and remind yourself being with him is better than anything else I could distract myself with right now. I think we also struggle to believe that God is near and available to us and responsive to our needs. So we don't believe God's near like a father. We don't believe God's available like a father. And so we often struggle to spend time with him. And Jesus, later in Luke chapter 11, says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, father, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what Jesus is saying here is he's moving from something normal in our experience, fathers, to help us understand God. And he talks about the fact that good earthly fathers give good gifts to their children like fish and eggs, which are actually two of my favorite foods. So I'm really tracking with Jesus here. The argument goes, if earthly fathers... Fathers who are selfish, fathers who are fallen, fathers who are prideful, if even they will give good gifts to their children, or will the Heavenly Father, who is none of those things, but instead is perfect, give those things to his children who ask him? Here's how one Bible teacher from long ago put it. But if the little drops of earthly fathers produce such an amount of blessing, what ought we to expect from the inexhaustible ocean? I think a lot of us can fail to spend time with God because we, when we do, we don't believe that anything is actually happening. You ever been in that place? We can fail to spend time with God because when we do spend time with God, we believe that nothing is actually happening. These verses show us that nothing could be further from the truth. So we can ask God for all kinds of things. And there's one gift, one thing he'll never withhold from us. That's the Holy Spirit, according to these verses. 
So you can ask for all kinds of things. And in his wisdom, he may say yes and he may say no. But there's one request that he never withholds from his children, which is his Holy Spirit. Now, his Holy Spirit is the person of God who conveys the Father's personal power and presence. So to receive the Holy Spirit is to receive God's nearness to you, to receive a sense of his closeness. When you seek God, you may or may not receive the thing you're asking for, but you always receive him. You may not receive the thing that you want from him, but you always get him. What Jesus reveals to us in this passage is that the thing we need most and the thing that God delights most to give is himself. Like if we reorient our prayers towards what thing can I get from God to can I get God that changes the way we pray. And I've spent time praying for things in my life that I haven't received. I've spent time praying for lost loved ones who haven't been saved yet. So you can say, well, that time was wasted, right? Because that prayer hasn't been answered yet. And no, because in those times, I receive more of God. I'm more like him now. I have more of him. And not a second you spend with him is ever wasted, child of God. One other point from this passage that Jesus makes in Luke 11 is that God answers persistent prayer. I'm going to say that again. God answers persistent prayer. So if you're struggling to feel God in your prayer times, you're struggling to feel close to him, there is no promise or guarantee that it happens right away. But there is a promise that if you keep persistently seek him, he will be found by you. Right? So in those moments where you are praying to God and seeking God and saying, I don't feel your presence, I don't feel like you're near, the question is, will you trust that he's a good father and will come near to you when he decides to? And that'll be that much sweeter when he finally does because he brought you on this journey of persistently seeking him. So God is not only great, he's good, he's available and near. And if we really believe those things, church, we would spend time with him just like Jesus did. Jesus knew he was his father, and so Jesus spent time with his father. Nothing and no one can convince us of the father's greatness and nearness more than Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 3, the father speaks to Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. And then this son, with whom God is well pleased, goes on to suffer and die in the place of people with whom God is not pleased, like myself and you. What happens is the son trades places with spiritual orphans and make them children of God. That's the gospel. That's why you're able to experience this kind of intimacy with God that I'm talking about this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God as your father, you've never had your sins forgiven, he's not close to you. He could be. He could be. If you come to Jesus in repentance and faith and trust his life, death, and resurrection in his place, then you go from being a spiritual orphan who does not have God to being a child whom God will pour out his Holy Spirit upon, and nothing could be more beautiful or great for you than that. So come on, come talk to me. Come talk to anyone in this church and ask them about how you can have that if you don't have that yet. I love that this value of be with the Father is right at the middle of this series, right? There's five sermons. This is Sermon 3. It's right at the heart of this series because this is right at the heart of the life of Christ, and it needs to be right at the heart of our church if we're going to accomplish anything of eternal value or importance together. 
which means we should ask a question together. We should not think, how can I plan time with God into my life? But rather, how can I plan my life around time with God? Do you hear that question? Not, how can I plan time with God into my life? But how can I plan my life around time with God? Now, how would we do that? How, what, are, what am I even talking about? And what I want to suggest to you is that you join me in this, in spending time with God morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. A rhythm of morning, noon, and night with God. And that might sound crazy to you. That might sound like, Ross, I spend time with God just once a week. How, how, three times? What are you talking about morning, noon, and night? Well, stick with me for a second. The Bible, in the Bible, there's a pattern of men and women who follow God waking up early in the morning and spending time with him in word and prayer. It's a practice that I commend to everyone to start your day that way. If you start that way, it's not that hard to finish that way. Even if you just spend a short period of time in prayer with yourself, with your spouse, with your kids, with someone, or just the Lord, spend some time with him. And what I really want to commend to you now is a practice that has helped me so much in the last few years. After lunch, most days, I put on my jacket, and I'll go for a five to ten minute walk outside. And that walk is a time to seek the Father, to be with the Father. And I found there's something so powerful about being outside in God's world, about moving my body, and about being in a place without other people that I can use audible words to talk to God. I don't know about you, but when I fold my hands and close my eyes and go sit in the corner, it can be hard, and my mind just kind of drifts away. But when I'm outside and I see things in the world to praise God for, when I'm thanking God for my body that works and can move, and when I'm using words that I can hear, I find that it's so much easier to spend time with him and focus with him. And so if you're wondering, how could I apply this sermon? How could I be with the Father and spend more time with him? I just encourage and commend that practice to you to go on a walk with God, spend time with him, to be with him. If we want to walk with God in our life, it's not a stretch to actually go on a walk with him most days. What could happen in our community if we all sought God together passionately and persistently? What could happen here in this church community if we all sought God together passionately and persistently? More of us would go to the nations with the gospel. More of us would open our homes to neighbors and show them hospitality. More of us would put our secret sin to death and surrender more fully to God. More of us would serve other people in this church in miraculous ways. And most of all, we would be people who prioritize being with God rather than doing things for God. We wouldn't be busybodies and we wouldn't be self-righteous people whose religion comes down to a checklist. We'd be people who are compelled by a relationship to serve and love other people. You see the difference there? It turns us into true followers of Jesus. As a result, all of our actions as a church would have a flavor of the presence and nearness of God to one another and to the world who comes among us. People who are here in our homes and in our church gatherings would have a sense that our God is near to us. Man, I would love that. I would love for us and our church to have the same kind of impact on Minneapolis as Jesus did on ancient Israel. 
the same kind of impact, right, where people feel compelled because of the way they're served and loved to come near. And people feel patiently served and cared for by Jesus. And I commend to you that the way that we can do that, the way that we can have that kind of impact, the way that we can walk out our mission and our vision together is if we all commit to being with the Father together. We know we can't do it on our own. And we know that God can supply to us what we need to be able to follow him. And that's all we're saying when we say we want to be with the Father. Let's pray together. Father, it's my delight to call you that because of Jesus today. And I thank you that you hear my prayer. And I thank you that you hear all of these people's prayers right now. And I ask that you'd help me to turn from my own selfish ways of trying to satisfy myself to the true way of enjoying intimacy with you, that you would change me, transform me, change us, transform us, and fill us all with your spirit to have a radical impact on our neighbors in the world. We want to follow you in everyday life. We want to fill the world with your glory. And so we're going to spend time with you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.